Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to January's Outside the Box. First Outside the Box of 2023. I am joined by, as ever, Mickey Nonan. Hello. And Jen Offord. It's thrown me that you don't do something... A bit creepy and weird at the start. <laughs> creepy? I think creepy's a bit harsh, Jen. Wow. Weird, I'm happy to accept, but creepy seems a bit mean. I'm sorry. Hello, Jen. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay, so let's make a start. We are one month closer to Succession's <gasps> arrival, which, according to Sky, will be in the spring, which is, as Jen, our season's expert, will tell you is officially sometime between March and June. I really hope it's closer to March than it is to June. But I actually haven't really thought about it that much, given there's been loads of really great TV on at the minute. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad it's not happening at the same time as Happy Valley. I feel it would be yeah. wasted. So Also, the tension would be unbearable. Can you imagine? Yeah. I haven't got so much in the news section now, but I just want to say I discovered something. This might have been going on for ages, but I've discovered it, so I want to share it with people which is that Apple TV is currently letting anyone, you don't have to be a member, anyone at all, watch the first series of any of their shows for free. Now, I think the plan behind it is that you're going to watch the first series of, what's it called, Jen? Ted Lasso. That's it, Ted Lasso, and become obsessed, and then pay and watch the rest of them. And it's probably a relatively good marketing ploy. And as someone who has self-control issues, I didn't watch the first series of Chess Lasso <laughs> because I knew it would end up costing me £7.99. So I did watch something else because the first series, if it is a limited series, is the whole series. Yeah, yeah. So I watched Blackbird, which Jen had plugged about the summer, didn't you? Yeah, I think it was probably September-ish. Technically the summer. It's Taron Egerton, who I had never seen in anything before, but is apparently famous. Mostly, I think, for playing other people. Isn't that acting? <laughs> no, as in playing Biop- real people. Like, oh, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Biopics, rather. In a way, he is playing a real person here as well, because this is based on a, a true story. And it is one of the last things Ray Liotta ever did. But I didn't watch it for either of those reasons. I watched it because it had Paul Walter Hauser in it, and I think he is amazing. He is the basement-dwelling friend of Sebastian Stan in I, Tonya. Oh. Mm. The one who thinks he's in the CIA, secu- the absolute Her fantasist. security guard and the PR yeah. person. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He's so amazing in I, Tonya that I watched it on the basis of that. And he is pretty amazing in this. He plays a serial killer in it. It is one of those things. And I'm bringing it up as well, largely because people can watch it for free. I'm not going to give it a full review, but people can watch it for free. But also because he won... Best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series at the Golden Globes this year for Blackbird. And that is exactly the same award, but for a man, that Jennifer Coolidge won. And she gave that terrific speech. I love her. her. She won it for White Lotus. And I know you talked about this in the podcast, Mickey, but I'd like to throw my tuppence worth in. Of course you would, you're Hannah. (laughs) And say that if the Golden Globes went gender neutral, one of those two would have lost out. Mm-hmm. They won the same award, which would have been compressed into one award. So you would have had to choose one or the other of them. And they are both so unique and so un-Hollywood in their personalities, Mm. in their look. I think in an attempt to make the Golden Globes more diverse, by doing that, they would have made the Golden Globes less diverse. Agreed. I live in hope 
that they won't go gender neutral because one of those two would have lost out. Can I tell you what I'm going to watch on Apple TV, given this incredible news? Is it the Sharon Horgan thing? Oh, Because that's oh, what yeah. I'm going to watch I'm next. going to watch Bad Girls. That looks amazing. But Bad Sisters, I think it's called. Bad Sisters, you're correct. Yes, that looks amazing. But I'm also going to watch The Shrink Next Door, which is yes. Will Farrell and Paul Rudd. But it's by Georgia Pritchett, who that's we right. love. So I'm going to watch And that. again, one series, I believe. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. was going on the back of the limited series. I think there is going to be mm. more Bad Sisters. But I don't think it matters if they didn't know there was going to be a second series when they made them. So I think it's perfectly possible to watch it as a one series. I Listeners, think. tune in to find out if we ever find out the answer to this. What I would also say <laughs> about Apple TV is that there is now being trailed the third series and I think the final series of Ted Lasso also in the spring. And there's another one coming up called, I think it's called Shrinking, which has got, oh, what's his name? It's got Harrison... Oh, Jason... Jason Segel? Jason Segel, yeah. Jason Segel and Harrison Ford in it. Mm-hmm. And um, that is also co... I think co-produced and co-written by Brett Goldstein, who is one of the writers and stars of Ted Lasso, if you like Ted Lasso, which I do. Great. Look at that. That was a more jam-packed news section than you thought. I'm going to add one tiny bit of extra news, and that is any fans of Yellow Jackets. Hello, that's me. Oh, hello. Uh, we'll be chuffed to know that the UK release date is March the 26th. <laughs> so just as The Last of Us finishes, which we will be getting on to, Yellow Jackets will start. Oh, I do Exciting. like a bit of Yellow Jackets, mate. Shall we then talk about what was on TV over Christmas? I think we're going to keep this bit short just because Christmas seems such a long time ago. It's now the 81st of January. When was Christmas? <laughs> no one knows. So maybe we could keep our thoughts to a few words each. Shall I start with ghosts? Who watched ghosts? I watched it. I watched ghosts. I thought it was daft and charming and very touching. Mickey. I thought it was daft and charming and made me cry like a baby, which is, you know, par for the course on a ghost Christmas special. Yeah, this won't work on a podcast, but when Jim Howick just did this, it was amazing. Inside number nine, I thought it was spooky and weird and inside number nine, Mickey. It was very Inside Number 9, wasn't it? And that's what I've come to expect and love about Inside Number 9. No complaints here. Well done. Please keep them coming. I was excited that it was billed as Episode 1 of Season 8. So hopefully the rest of those are going to land soon. Yeah. Jen, did you watch Inside Number 9? I've never seen it, so no, I did not. Oh my god, you could just like, oh, you should just stop recording now and go and start watching it. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Detectorists. Who watched Detectorists? Hello. I did, actually. <laughs> even though I've never watched any of it before, ever. So you just watched this one as the only Detectorist you've My ever seen? My mum loves it, so she was watching it. I thought it was okay. Maybe mildly disappointing. Like going to see some friends that you haven't seen in ages and one of them being a bit of a dick while you were there. That's how I would <laughs> sum up Detectorists, I think. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. And actually, because Gary had never seen any of it and the series is so, so beautiful, Jen, I mean, if you, again, like, don't leave this recording, but there's a lot of back catalogue you can go and watch. It's so, so wonderful. I love it so hard. Uh, and so we watched all of those. And when we got to this one... I was like, why have they made Lance so peevish? He's just become a peevish prick. And it did sort of spoil it for me. But it was still, you know, those beautiful shots of the English countryside. Yeah. And 
Yeah, it's just nice seeing him again, wasn't it? It's just yeah. nice seeing him again. Yeah. It's basically set like where Harwich is. It's sort of like between Suffolk and Essex. And um, I, a lot of the characters in it were quite, <laughs> seemed quite familiar to me. So <laughs> I think they're probably quite well drawn of sort of local, you know, local politics-y kind of um, situations, as in small p politics. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, a lot of it kind of went a bit over my head because I've never seen it before. Yeah, and I don't think it would be an episode that would make you fall in mm. love with the series, whereas any other episode would make you yeah. fall in love with Detectorists, I think. Okay, agreed. And the last one on my Christmas list, although some of you may... Some of you. You, just you. I make it sound like there's a massive audience <laughs> of people here. May have watched other stuff. Was Motherland, which was... a real tearjerker yeah i'm gonna actually keep my thoughts quite short on this just because i got enough to be crying about in my real life at the moment but i will say that julia and amanda are the hardest two characters to like in this Mm -hmm. it's easy to love diane morgan's character whose name temporarily escapes me because she's played by diane morgan you know she's funny (laughs) and it's easy to love kevin because kevin is just lovely but julia and amanda are both massive dicks in their own way (laughs) and yet And yet, I wanted to reach in the telly and give both of them a cuddle on this because Anna Maxwell-Martin and Lucy Punch were both magnificent, I thought, in this Christmas special. I can do this in five words. I counted them on my hands while you were talking. Sadder than I'd have liked. (laughs) (laughs) Also a description of uh, Hannah's life at the moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Christmas. Anybody watch anything else Christmassy? No, I don't think so. Just ploughed through the rest of Buffy, so that's it's done. It's dusted. Literally dusted in some of the vampire characters' sense. You've made that seem like work, you know. Towards the end, it because feel like it, there was a build-up of stuff that I really wanted to watch, but couldn't stop watching Buffy, it did start to feel like a bit of a chore. Shall we plough through four episodes today? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's still great. I'm glad I revisited it, but it's seven seasons is a lot of, of something. Yeah. It really is. You know what's a good amount of seasons or something? Three. Yeah. Which brings us to Happy Valley, which Ooh. the entire world is watching. Now, this is actually quite exciting because although we've mentioned Happy Valley a lot in the past on this podcast, and although we've had Sally Wainwright on the podcast twice. No, so three talked, times, mate. Three times. So we've talked to Sally Wainwright a lot and have mentioned Happy Valley. And if you haven't heard it, I interviewed her earlier this month about Happy Valley. It's never actually been on the telly in the time that this podcast has been going, which shows how long it is since Happy Valley was on the telly. I wrote a week-by-week blog for Series 2. We were still a magazine when Series Mm. 2 was on. Finally, the entire of the UK appears to have caught up with the fact that Happy (laughs) Valley is brilliant and everybody, Mm. absolutely everybody, is watching it. We are four episodes in. I was ahead for a while, but now I've reached the limit of my previews. So we are all at the same four episodes in. So if you're not four episodes in and you're listening, stop listening because there's no way we're not going to do this without spoilers. Because fucking hell. Fucking hell. Okay. (laughs) End of review. (laughs) And I kind of don't think we need to do much stuff. Sally Wainwright's superlative drama about Catherine Kaywood a woman who almost runs the world, or she certainly should. We're seven years on 
time has moved on there as it's moved on here which is a really good choice I think because number one it means Ryan's at an age where he's starting to become difficult to control he's nearly an adult so he's going to start making his own decisions and also it means that Alison is out of prison and Alison went to prison at the end of series two which means that Catherine actually kind of gets to carry out the sort of promise she made which she didn't make, but I think I remember pointing it out that, you know, she'd saved Alison's life and therefore she felt like she'd become responsible for it. And she's yeah. she's doing the right thing now. So brilliant. Also, Susan Lynch. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. I thought I might start, actually, with Rob Hepworth, who's played by Mark Stanley, who's a new Ooh. character in this. And is so well written and so mm. well played that within 10 seconds of him being on the screen, I fucking hated him. Absolutely (laughs) despised him. And I think that is a great example of how amazing her writing and the casting and the acting in this is. Mm. Agreed. The way he speaks to to Ryan in their first meeting, that's when we first encounter him, isn't it? At the football match with Ryan. Yeah, he calls him a little shit stain. He calls him a little shit stain. You're like, you're off fucking horrible (laughs) this what he's talking to a child like that yeah it's yeah no you're right it's it's so so well done and i think what's great about it as well is it doesn't show Catherine to be like some magical person who can see through people you know she's got the measure of him instantly but we've got the measure of him instantly as well we get Mm. it this guy is terrible. Part of me really, really hopes that he gets put away for for the murder that he hasn't done. Oh no, I don't. Mm. I don't agree with that. But I see where you're coming from. He's a he's not a very nice individual at all. I think he will fuck those girls up if he raises those girls. I think he will ruin their lives if he gets left raising those girls. I think he deserves punishment, but not for the crime he hasn't committed, mm. but for the crimes he has committed. I did say part of me, part of me really hopes. (laughs) I just want to know where it's going. What is the point of him? Because obviously there's this whole other thread that's been, you know, that's being teased out about the, you know, the the drugs and and this kind of like criminal world that's going on, which I think is really clever. And I had lots of theories about this and Tommy Lee Royce's part in it all, which look like they've been proven to be very much wrong but i just want to know like what's what's the point of him what what function does he perform and i'm just like i'm well, he's so a massive intrigued. red herring he's well, a massive red herring for what though joanna's murder well no i know but what's mm. that got to do with everything else how is it all going to link together because sally wainwright really loves a hapless criminal who's just stumbled yeah. into the profession <laughs> There's been one in every series, and yeah. this series it's Faisal Amit Shah. Yeah. And at the moment, all eyes are going to be on Hetworth for the murder when they find her, rather than on Faisal. Well, I know all that. Who's obviously. all messed up with the Knesseviches now because they were asking him for money. But it's just, I don't know. I just, I just find it all very intriguing what she's doing, the way it's being teased out. Mm. Yeah, That's I agree with I mean. you. She's great. Also in series two, obviously, the danger, we were all led to believe that, you know, for a while, that that Shirley Henderson, the danger of Shirley Henderson was that she might be a physical danger. But the danger was that she essentially helped groom Ryan. Yeah. And Mm. he is spending time with Ryan now and pretending to be positive, even though he hates Ryan's grandmother. So you wonder whether 
his his role there is also to help turn Ryan against against his family. Shall I tell you what I thought, which now looks like it has gone tits up? What I thought was, I thought Claire, what she had to say, was very interesting about like redemption and Tommy Lee Royce and like how what if Ryan is actually the only good thing in what has otherwise been just a completely miserable existence, really. And I was a bit like, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the point that actually, because when he's with Ryan, it's not even that he's positive, it's that he's childlike. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got this childlike way about him that doesn't, it doesn't seem fake to me. It seems like a really genuine kind of like a bit daft kind of enthusiasm or something and I was like maybe that's the point maybe the point is that actually he's a victim too in a lot of ways but I think that has been proven to be not right by what has then happened no and I don't think he deserves redemption the amount of awful stuff he's done and interestingly a little tiny tangent but related I just interviewed Joe Todd who is the CEO of Respect UK and they do work with perpetrators of domestic violence to challenge and change them always centering the survivor and I said about how the narrative about monsters isn't helpful right you know these are humans otherwise we just have them over there instead of the fact that it's the guy in the supermarket Mm. you know your dad your brother it could be anyone it could be anyone and she said you're absolutely right but there are a couple of monsters. There are some out there that she's like, I've met and they've just given me the chills. So they do exist. And I think Tommy Lee Royce falls into that category. And for redemption, to achieve redemption, you have to be sorry and you have to mm-hmm. accept what you've mm. done and he hasn't done either of those things. Well, no. I, think, I think Claire is interesting because Claire, right from the start, has made me nervous and that's family history. It's confirmed my worst fears, Claire, really. And that's that she's a liability. She's like a... She's a hand grenade waiting to go off, basically, as many alcoholics are, you know, within families. And I think I, I will say Siobhan Finneran is amazing. Everyone in this is amazing. Charlie Murphy hasn't had that much to do, but I think I think she's great in this. Her character really annoys me. Does that make me a bad person? I mean, no, you don't have to like people. The big question for me now is, is Tommy Lee Royce going to kill Catherine or is Catherine going to kill Tommy Lee Royce? Because I think they're both as likely to happen, really, even though Catherine is a good person and probably wouldn't, you know, if she gets to the end of her tether with this. It's the retirement that's troubling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She hasn't bought a a yacht, but she has bought a car. It's the imminent retirement that really makes you worried for her. uh... I'm putting money on a a tragic tragic bungee jumping accident. Yeah. I don't know. We'll totally watch a spin-off of her driving through the Himalayas. Mm, I've seen a lot of people tweeting that, yeah. Oh, totally. really? <laughs> yeah, best best travel programme ever. Let's get it made. <laughs> I don't think you're going to agree with me on this, but I feel like, obviously, she's brilliant and we love her and she's funny and she's kick-ass and she's, like, just, you know, fantastic. But she's not magical. She is fallible. And I completely mm. understand, like, if it were me, obviously, you know, if it were anyone, you'd feel the same way as she feels. You wouldn't want him to see Tommy Lee Royce but also what she's asking him to do is not realistic because of course he's going to want to know about where he's come from yeah I, again I don't, I don't know that I agree with, with that yeah I no. didn't think you would but that's that is like, what he, I think he absolutely might want to know where he's come from and he, and he doesn't know what's happened either yeah yeah and he can find that out in any way he chooses to and she's saying that to mm. him she's just not ready 
to to speak to him about all of the details. And for some of it, I've been shouting at the telly, why are you being so soft? Just tell him if he knows, then he probably won't want to see this guy. But it is so, Hannah and I chatted about this a little bit in the Bush Telegraph. It's so traumatic what needs to be said to Ryan that that's why she's not telling him. And it's not just traumatic for a 16-year-old who'll have to deal with the information about his dad and about his mum and about everything else that has happened. But it's also traumatic for her to keep revisiting it. She is mm. still very traumatised by Becky's su- suicide. Like, still visibly traumatised by it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I do think... she's. I think it's fair enough to give him that choice. But maybe you should have more information. It is weird in a way that he hasn't, like, Googled it or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is weird that he hasn't sort of taken it... In in the digital age that we live in, it is a bit odd that he hasn't taken it upon himself to find out more information via but all he wouldn't, the many he means. wouldn't find out the he right thing. He wouldn't find anything. Why wouldn't he find out? Because it didn't go to yeah. court. Right, okay. But he'd be able to find out all the other stuff that he's done. He'd be able to find out what he did to Anne. He would be able yeah. to find that stuff. Yeah, and the up. other police officer. But then again, so would Shirley Henderson in the last series, and then when she was told it, she didn't believe it. Mm. So... I think that's interesting story for our times in the sense that everybody believes what they want to believe now and facts are, you know, flexible and all of that. And yeah. you'd think that he'd remember that he tried to set him on fire, yeah. you know? Yeah, but what? so my point was that he's been kind of left in a world where there is an amount of information that he can discover. He's just sort of been left to it. So then doesn't he need a bit of help with that as well i don't know i just it's just a different angle well we'll revisit this conversation in february if my sobbing has subsided by then (laughs) mickey the happy valley of course stars con o'neill you've been watching something else that stars con o'neill i believe i have indeed our flag means death it's a 10-part sitcom about pirates yes please I have been excited to watch this since I heard about it yonks ago. And David Jenkins, swashbuckler with lols, has taken a while to be released over here, but is finally fully available on the old iPlayer. It is an American endeavour, HBO Max in fact, but it threw me straight back to my childhood because Jenkins' intentionally anachronistic tale of an upper-class gentleman attempting to make a name for himself on the open seas in the 18th century It's all very Maid Marian and her merry men, but with swearing. Reese Darby is Steed Bonnet, that there upper-class gentleman who thinks being a bloodthirsty pirate will give him a bit of self-respect, so abandons his wife and kids to follow his dream. Turns out he's not so keen on the bloodthirsty bit, so instead he pays his motley crew of pirates a living wage and has talking (laughs) therapy sessions to deal with any issues that come up. A funny, yeah, it's a funny setup. And Darby is Darby, and therefore mm. perfect in this role as a chirpy, positive man attempting to deal with long buried feelings. Ditto Taika Waititi, who shows up as the infamous Blackbeard, except the pirate in life has lost a bit of its luster and he'd like his hidden depth to surface. Not so keen on that is his second in command, Izzy Hans, and that is a brilliant Con O'Neill who would have absolutely no truck with the other character he's currently portraying (laughs) on the telly, Um, and who is keen to thwart the budding friendship between his boss and Bonnet to get back to their more traditional piratey ways. So yeah, this is a sitcom about pirates and feelings. Mm -hmm. It's gently about identity. And by gently, I don't mean it tiptoes around it. Being who you want to be and being allowed to express that is clearly the theme throughout this series. 
but it doesn't bludgeon you over the head with it or, you know, run you through with a cutlass with it. And the end result is really rather sweet. It's the 18th century. And so people feeling and wanting to be the way characters in Our Flag Means Death feel and want to be would absolutely have existed, but they wouldn't have been able to express that. So it is nice seeing them being able to exist freely. And it's full of romance, not just of a life on the open seas, but, you know, the relationship kind, albeit in ways that are surprising and very touching, actually. So, yeah, it wears its heart on its flag and fair dues. It is billed as a romantic comedy. Uh, It's not very funny, though. (laughs) I was going to say I can't work out if this is a recommend or not. Bums! Uh, And not being very funny would be fine if it wasn't for how wasteful that feels of an excellent comedy cast. Guz Khan, Leslie Jones, Samson Keo, Ewan Bremner, Kristen Schaal. It's not like I didn't laugh at all, but I I didn't laugh a lot. I am going to, I'm going to pretend it's not billed as a comedy anymore though and, and power through when the second season comes back because it is really lovely and I do like it. It's got loads of other uh, I saw a thing that said Rory Kinnear was in it. Yes. And also it's got Hodor in it, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It has. And they're both excellent. Everyone is excellent. It's 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 lovely. And it's a really interesting mix of characters. And it does some surprising stuff with those characters. It, it really, really reminds me of, of Maid Marian and kind of the individual characters within that and how they've brought them together and sort of let them do their own thing, but within a group of outlaws. It's very similar. But yeah, I just wish it was funnier. It thinks it's funny, and that's kind of annoying. Yeah. Mm. yeah. While we're talking of things that are funny, but also other stuff as well, Mickey, I believe you've got up with Upright. Tell me what you made I of did. that. I did. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's great. Uh, a well-balanced ratio of humour, warmth, chaos. It made me very tense, and also pathos. And it's anchored by those two incredible central performances from Millie Alcock and Tim Minchin. I have got to be honest, though, I don't really like Megan Lucky. I don't like them as characters. She's a bolshy, self-centred little madam, and he's a pathetic, self-centred king baby. So it is testament to the power of the writing and the storytelling that I do still give a massive shit about them, and I rooted for them the whole way. Although I wasn't as convinced by their odd couple act this time round. And I definitely didn't think this was as dazzlingly brilliant as the first season. Yeah. It's one of those that I kind of wish they'd left it where it was. Mm. I think they wrapped it up a bit, uh, all a bit too neatly at the end. Um, of this one? Yes. Or of the last one? No, of this one. I think it, it the, the second series, I think the ending was a little too... Pat. Oh, and it all turned out fine. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I think there are a couple of really great scenes in it. There's a scene where I think it's in the that was one of the last ones when they've escaped that sort of cult thing and they're lying on the grass and she rips into him for not like ever ringing her and and I yeah, I thought it was lovely. I think it was really well done. Yeah, it really tugs on the yeah. heartstrings upright. And I agree with you about the ending. It feels really conclusive. And as much as I enjoyed watching this, you mm. know, I'd I'd be disappointed if they announced a third season. Also, I feel like I've seen variations of Lucky on the telly forever. But I've got to say, Meg is something a bit special. I was thinking about Meg, and I don't like her. And it's probably a good reason that I don't have a teenage daughter, because I think quite a lot of them are like that. But she also perfectly encapsulates 
the idea of how we adultify girls who seem capable when actually they've had no choice but to be capable and are still very much kids. Yeah, absolutely agreed. She is like this iron exterior with just like hot lava in the middle just waiting to come out. Yeah, yeah. I think she's really well drawn, so well done to Tim Minchin on that. Yeah. I could have done with less Tim Minchin, if I'm honest with you. (laughs) Yeah. Great, let's have a break and then we'll be back to talk about some other stuff. Okay, welcome back. We're going to start on Sky to talk about The Last of Us, which we'll probably be able to keep quite tight given that there's only been two episodes so far. Uh, I think they're going to be ten. Based on a computer game, which has certainly attracted some people. And, <laughs> Sorry, um, you a, sounded about 104 when you yeah, said that. Yeah, based on a game for computers. <laughs> So that's attracted quite a crowd. Uh, And the second crowd is there because it's created for TV by Craig Mason, who is the man behind the absolutely genius Chernobyl. How much crossover there is between those two groups in the Venn diagram, I don't know. But I would imagine it's going to be very hard to please both of those groups at the same time. And as someone who who doesn't play computer games... (laughs) <laughs> I don't give a fuck whether it pleases that crowd. I want it to please a television crowd because that's what I'm there for. Starring Pedro Pascal as a man tasked with escorting a young woman, Bella Ramsey, uh, to safety across America in a land that's 20 years past a zombie apocalypse. Now, I know some people don't like zombies, so you probably won't necessarily like this. But I have to say, these ones are even worse than all of these zombies. Oh my God, granny mushroom zombie. Awful. This is the stuff of nightmares. I actually had nightmares about this. I'm not, this is literally the stuff of nightmares. Those creeping tendrils made me just want to vomit. They were absolutely appalling. But that said, the motif and the pattern that they spread throughout is so beautifully well designed. All zombie apocalypses take place in a in a beautiful collapsed city. It's even better when it's a city you know, which I do, which in this case Boston. is Boston. Uh, it's actually when they go into the Museum of Boston. I've been yes, in there. I've been yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, <same. laughs> uh, which always adds a little woo to uh, Yeah, to I think I had watching. more fun than they did when I was there. Though. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think they came less close to trying to steal a musket, though, than I did. and they'd have had more use for it if i'm honest with you hannah (laughs) those two are the 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 core of it but it does have lots and lots and lots of people in it anna torf has been in the first two episodes gonna do this spoiler free uh nick offerman is coming up murray bartlett is coming up a lot of good people in this I can't really say too much about this to, to, because we're only two in. I thought the first episode was amazing. I thought the second one was much slower, but that, you know, now they're starting to world build a bit more. You know, the first one was all all action. The second one started to, to world build a bit more and was still very, very good. Obviously, there's a lot more to come. The one thing that I'm going to say about this that I, I like is so many zombie films and that kind of stuff are set in America. And the only bits that you see of the rest of the world are maybe a film footage of like zombies overrunning the Eiffel Tower or something. Uh, it's the Independence why... Day montage where you yeah, just yeah, see yeah. big cities being bombed, big exactly landmarks that. being bombed, Ex- yeah. Exactly that. Which is why I really, really like, much as someone who's not that into zombie stuff, why I really, really like World War Z, the book in particular, but also the film, because it's set all over the world. And therefore, 
it adds a little bit of politics into it. How is North Korea dealing with this? How is Israel dealing with this? And it actually enables them to say something about those places by the response that they have to this crisis that's breaking out. And I feel like there's a bit of that coming in this. We've already been to another city. We actually, the second episode starts in, is it Singapore? Indonesia. Indonesia. So so already you've seen how, you know, when she says bomb it all, you're like, wow, that's like a very un-American response to this. So I think that if that's going to continue, that's very positive. Mickey, what did you make of it? It's cracking, isn't it? It's Chernobyl with zombies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much all I want to say about it. It is terrifying. And as someone who has proclaimed herself a, a massive wuss on this podcast many times, because it's true, I feel like I am getting a bit more immune to it as I get older. But old Granny Mushroom Zombie in the first episode scared the shit out of me, yeah. really put the wind up me. The clickers in the second episode, less so, because they looked sort of less recognisably human. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's great. I think the pacing's really interesting, actually. I don't think the first one was all action. I think it was quite slow and world building as well. But that's what was needed. Yeah. And I think it will probably pick up pace as it goes along. But I love that. And also, I did a little reading round of various sort of Reddit boards. Didn't spend too long on Reddit, obviously. I've not been radicalised or anything. Uh-huh. But the computer, it seems to be the consensus at the moment that everyone's loving it. The people who oh, loved it as a computer game are like, this translates really well. Thank, thank goodness someone's finally made it. And obviously TV people who are not into the computer game are like, well, this is just a very good series about zombies. I haven't seen The Walking Dead, though, and I wondered, because I know you have... Is it the same? <laughs> it seems like it might be the same. Uh, no, no. The Walking Dead's about okay. a band of survivors. So, um, whereas this is just the hardcore of the two of them. So ITV continues to fire new dramas out of its t-shirt cannon, like it's at some drunken party. Something about Stonehouse that's got Matthew McFadden that's popped up. Something that looks really, really, really appalling that's set in the south of France. The Reunion, I believe it's called. And uh, it's mostly in French, which is quite unusual for an ITV drama. I'm not saying that people who watch ITV don't like subtitles, but I'm saying it is very unusual to get a subtitled drama on ITV. And it looks shy. I might wait until I've got someone in my house and watch it because it looks like it could be hilariously funny. But something that did look like it had potential, Jen, and you watched is Without Sin and stars Johnny Harris and Vicky McClure. So that's got to be promising, right? Well, Hannah, yes, I watched ITV X's Without Sin. And I have to say, just on what you've said about ITV, I think that they have upped their game a little bit. I've also Mm -hmm. watched Maternal, which maybe I'll talk about next time, Mm -hmm. which I... It's a bit, you know, whatever, but I'm enjoying it. I also watched Litvinenko and, I, you know, I don't think that these are dog shit offerings. Is what I, I saw a friend of the show, Paul Kirkley, raving about a maternal, actually. So, yeah, you're in good company there. Yeah. I, I wasn't taking the piss. I was saying no, no. continuing to fire dramas out at a rate. No, I know you weren't. That's, Some of them I... are bound to be good. I was agreeing with you. There's a lot of stuff on ITVX, but what I will say is a little bit frustrating is that a lot of them aren't, actually on itv itself because and you can't yet get there on itvx not on the actual telly right you have to pay for itvx no you don't but what's a little bit annoying about it for me anyway and a lot of people will be in the same boat is that you can't yet get itvx on sky iq 
Right. So you okay. have to dick around a little bit if you want to watch it, unless you're just watching it like, you know, on your laptop or whatever, or you're, you've got your laptop hooked up to your TV, which I suppose lots of people do. But I don't, so it's just a bit annoying because you have to go in a different route to how you would go in to They're watch gonna anything They're going to make you else. work for those quality dramas, Jen. <laughs> they you really can watch are. the ones in French without trying. Yeah. <laughs> the quality dramas. But anyway, I digress a little bit. So Without Sin sees standard issue fave, Vicky McClure, uh, reunited with This Is England alumnus Johnny Harris and Perry Fitzpatrick to play a grieving mother, Stella, who's struggling to come to terms with the murder of her teenage daughter, which happened some time ago. She was once the life and soul of the party, but Stella has given up her office job and now spends her nights driving a taxi around the streets of Nottingham like a ghost. She and her estranged husband, played by Fitzpatrick, are approached by a restorative justice programme after her daughter's, in inverted commas, murderer Charles, played by Harris, requests to see them. Stella gets more than she bargained for when she attends, and Charles tells her he didn't do it anyway. (gasps) So she's initially appalled, but she gets drawn into a shady underworld of drugs and her daughter's well-hidden private life. Only was it that well-hidden, or was Stella not paying enough attention? Drugs are at the moral of the story, really, and there's a message here about how we treat different classes differently when it comes to substance abuse and, indeed, drugs peddling. No one comes out of it without a bit of a ticking off. But I don't think the point is too laboured. There's a great supporting cast as well, including, again, Con O'Neill. He's getting around a bit at the moment. And, oh, he's, he's yeah. having a lovely time. Yeah. Playing a hideous drugs, <laughs> drugs lord. So, like, again, <laughs> very different character. Certainly got rage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And does he get fed his own toe in this? Because that was a... <laughs> but how does he have range with that voice? That's yeah. like, he's so... I, loved that, I loved him in Chernobyl as well. When he turned up, I was like, what a brilliant voice to have in this. <laughs> Can I tell you a funny story? I was, yeah. I was in the front garden waiting to see my friend Rachel the other day because her kid goes to the school next to mine. So sometimes at school turning out time, I just wander out and say hello to her. And uh, some kids went past and one of the kids was telling his mum a story. And he said, and then Oliver Jones said this. And then Con O'Neill. And I thought, there's a kid called Con O'Neill. I have to hear what he sounds Amazing. like. I hope he sounds like Con O'Neill. That's incredible. I also love that Con O'Neill is basically the undowed of British telly. He suddenly got famous in his middle years. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Sorry, Jen, please carry no, on. You distracted fine. us with your Con O'Neill mention. There's also Dorothy Atkinson. She's one of the supporting cast as well. And I think Kel Surprise that McClure is brilliant in it. And she's like an incredible mix of both hardened and vulnerable at the same time. I think it does a pretty good job, but I would say that I thought that the outcome was a little bit on the predictable side in the end. Johnny Harris seems like a good pick there because he only ever plays men who are absolute murdering, raping bastards or people who've been totally and utterly misunderstood. He's He could be he could be either, so he's a good choice for someone who, well, did they do it? Who knows? I haven't seen him in that much other stuff, but um, I think, like, he's not a nice guy in this. Like, well, he's not not a nice guy. I guess he's not straightforward bad. He's not straightforward good. He's he's a person who's dealt with the... He's been, you know, he's had... Yeah. What am I trying to say? He's had a a hand dealt to him and he's had to deal with it there's a phrase no, no you play a hand reason. you dealt with you don't do that that's it you he's he's had to play the hand he's been dealt basically yes 
got there. We got there in the end. Um, Thanks, guys. Thanks for your support in this. So, yeah, I don't, he's not straightforward one way or the other. I suppose it's like, it's quite good to see dramas being made in other places as well. I mean, Mm. like Happy Valley and and whatever. It's nice, you know, because McClure obviously does a lot of stuff that's based in that part of the world because she is from Nottingham herself. Jen, can I segue into something else here? You can. Because it's it's also made in another part of the country and mm-hmm. also has an incredibly similar plot, which yes. is The Light in the Hall, which is which on I've Channel 4, seen. six parts, Channel 4, written by Regina Moriarty, who also wrote Murdered by My Boyfriend. And I wouldn't have watched were it not for the following sentence, starring Joanna Scanlon. And a lot of Wales's finest, including Alexandra Roach and Iwan Rion. And it is about a grieving mother whose daughter has been murdered. Somebody confessed to her murder that he's played by Iwan Rion. He won't say where the body is buried, which may or may not be because he can't remember doing the murder. He just thinks that he did it. And then things come to a head when he is released on parole. I mean, for me, the plot isn't great, but it is somewhat irrelevant. Who really did do it? I actually, now thinking about it, can't really remember who did do it and why. It turns into one of those situations (laughs) where everybody was in about six foot of the murder happening for a different reason. So we have to go through all of them to work out who it was. I can't remember who did it. How very Agatha Christie. Yeah, what I will say is Joanna Scanlon was excellent. And if you want to watch her being excellent and also Alexander Roach being excellent, watch it. Maybe don't expect too much of it. What would you say to that, Jen? I thought that I, I won Rion and Sean Reese williams who plays like the friend of... One of the friends of the girl who's been killed. And she is in... She's like the main character in uh, Welsh language. Like I think I've talked about it before. It's called Hidden. It's like a sort of joined up effort between, is it S4C, the Welsh channel, and mm-hmm. the BBC? Mm. And she's like the central character in that. And she's, she's brilliant in it, really brilliant. And I thought she was chronically underused in this. And I thought I Won Rion was quite underused as well. So... Yeah, I didn't think it was perfect. I thought there was a lot going on as well. There were, as you say, like you've almost forgotten who did it because there were so many, like red herrings and and sort of like little paths that you go off on and then they get like you know shut down really quickly. So I thought there was a bit too much going on here. I don't know. It was very sad and it was very well done. Like Joanna Scanlon's brilliant in it. it, it you know it. it it was very sad about how her life has just been completely consumed by it and, you know, she just can't move on from what's happened. So I think I think it's worth a watch. But yeah, as you say, I wouldn't expect too much from it. Is Con O'Neill in it? No, <laughs> sadly not. No. Jen's gone to see a man about a dog. So it's just you and me now, Mick. Okay. I hate Susie too. That's two. T-O-O. Not two, but obviously also two. It's a three-part Christmas special, they they uh, they called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you didn't watch I Hate Susie, the first one. So quick reminder for you and for anybody else listening who hasn't seen it, created by Lucy Preble and its star Billy Piper, Lucy Preble, famous for lots of things but probably most famous for, for for being a writer and producer on Succession 
Billy Piper stars as Susie Pickles, who is an actress slash basically Billy Piper, but we'll get to that in a bit, <laughs> who is very much on a downward spiral. And both of them have given interviews in the past about other women that they've looked at. You know, they looked at Caroline Flack's life and 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 a couple of other women, Amy Winehouse, to, to see sort of how a career can collapse and how, you know, the, the pressures on women in the public eye, how it affects their mental health and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Part of the genius of it is is that it, it, ostensibly it is about Billy Piper's life, but also it's not about Billy Piper's life. So she she was a child star who became really famous when she was in a really popular cult sci-fi series. And, you know, so she still gets invited <laughs> to loads of, like, stuff, you know, conventions and stuff like that. Um, she's got an absolute arsehole of an ex who is causing her a lot of troubles. And she also has a much older ex-husband, her first husband, who turns up this <laughs> series, yeah, <laughs> who turns up this series and is played by really brilliantly by Chris Douglas no. <laughs> no by Douglas Hodge but yeah it's very very hard to watch in a way that is good and not in a way that is bad it is about the disintegration of a woman's life she's currently Susie is you know trying to get custody of her son she has fucked up many many times she's fallen out with her agent and her best friend who's played by Leila Farzad and also has a really strained relationship with her mother, who's played by Lorraine Ashbourne. She's now on a dancing show. You know, it's not Strictly Come Dancing. It's, it's very clearly ITV. Like, if ITV copied Strictly Come Dancing... <laughs> is it in French? That, yeah, that is what this show would be. And, she, you know, she's desperate to try and, and revitalise her career so she can have some money, so she can get access to her son. But she is a, a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown, it's very, very graphic about women's bodies, but not in the way that you might think that I mean about this. She has an abortion in this, and we, you see her repeatedly for about five minutes a scene that is just her ripping a thing off a sanitary towel, putting it on, ripping that off, putting it in the bin, putting a new one on. There is a lot of graphicness about mm-hmm. what happens when you have an abortion at home, which I don't think you ever... I can't think no. anywhere else that I've ever seen that... So, yeah, it's got an awful lot to recommend it. But like I say, it's hard to watch. It's It gives you a bit of a bellyache. And the final episode, just to really crank up the pressure, take, takes place in real time in the sort of backstage of the hour-long show that she's on. She's in the final of this dancing competition. And it takes place on stage and backstage in real time. And it's stressful as fuck. But that said... I don't know any other television that's like it. So fucking well done, those two women. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it sounds amazing. I, I, the only reason I haven't watched it is because I haven't watched it rather than, you know, I don't want to. Mm. Mick, anything else you've watched and you want to... I, I snuck in an episode of something. On. Yeah, I snuck in an episode of something last night, Hannah, and I genuinely think you will really like it. Or uh, Yeah, it's it's bang up your street. It's also on the iPlayer. It is Chuck D's Fight the Power, How Hip-Hop Changed the World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to watch it in the weekend. Yeah. I've seen just the one episode out of four. So maybe if you're going to watch it too, we can talk about it next time. Because man, what what an opening episode. It is a brilliant, brutal, hour-long history lesson on New York City in the 60s and 70s, the decades leading to 
hip hop's birth. It reminds me a lot of Ava DuVernay's incredible 13th. And Chuck D turns out to be an excellent history teacher. Also, yeah, you know, brilliant soundtrack. It's so good. Please watch it. I will. Outside the box.